Anna, and this is AFL Obsessed. How are you all doing? I'm trying something new this week in terms of structure during season, so I hope you'll like it and let me know what you think. I've always loved game structure, so I thought I'd organize the myriad of topics I usually talk about in a different way. So let's break the round down like a game. And let's start with a warm up. So, the warm up is just my overall thoughts on the week before we get into the game and also where New York City is at right now. <laughs> so, I've been in a bit of a fugue state for a couple of weeks now, just trying to catch all the games. And I know I don't have to watch all of them live, but it's literally something I want to do. So, at the time of recording this, I'm looking at the ladder standings and the top eight overall. And I feel like this AFL season so far has been reflective of 2020. Just Port Adelaide, Gold Coast, and St. Kilda in the top four. I mean, is this the new normal? I know that the standings may change after the remaining three games that I have yet to see, but we'll get to those in the wrap-up. So New York City has been lifting restrictions slowly, and last week on Monday we entered phase two, meaning that you can now enjoy some outdoor dining. There's still no dining in in restaurants. You can do in-store shopping, and barber shops and hair salons are open with limited service, and all patrons and staff have to wear masks at all times. And some office-based jobs have opened, and real estate services, building and property management, and leasing rental and sales services have opened. So, you know, there's been a return of some things we love about summer, but also NYC life in general. And occupancy in buildings have to be at 50%. But that means that what's still closed is malls, bars, gyms, any type of large gathering like concerts or conferences, movie theaters, places of public amusement like water parks, zoos, bowling alleys, arcades, theme parks, and play centers. So I'm still a bit nervous about how the subways will look with this phase. I mean, if you've been here, you know how the subway is during busy hours when it just gets overly packed. And now it's time for the first quarter and the round wrap up. So before we get to the first game, John Kennedy Sr., known as Kanga, was a Hawthorne player and coach and legend of the game, and he was recently elevated to legend status in the Australian Football Hall of Fame. And sadly, he passed away before the Swans versus Bulldogs game. But his grandson, Josh Kennedy, plays for the Swans, and it was a landmark game for him. So before the Swans versus Bulldogs game, the teams actually did a tribute to John Kennedy Sr. and they had a moment of silence. And they also shared some really great words during the quarters with Josh Kennedy speaking about his grandfather and kind of his memories and moments with him. So the doggies were in control pretty much from go in the game. They just had a cleaner contest with the ball. And I feel like Bont and Bailey Smith were standouts for the Bulldogs. And English too, the baby Ruckman, Tim English, he saved several goals and was an assist in defense for the doggies. And Papley for the Swan was kicking all their goals for them. And there was a really great moment for Josh Kennedy too when he kicked his 150th goal in the game. So the Bulldoggies won the game by 28 points and it was just another great win for them. And on early Friday morning, the Giants versus the Pies game. Initially, I was really looking forward to the Mummy-Grundy matchup with the two Ruckman from the clubs and specifically how Mummy would fare and also Mason Cox because he was back for this game. 
So Toby Green for the Giants had some freak goals and marks. And there was one mark that felt like a Stephen Bradbury one because everyone kind of just fell away around him and he happened to mark the ball that way. But it was a pretty exciting game overall because the teams went into halftime with a leveled score and the Giants opened up the game in the third, but Collingwood caught back up. Majacek went to work for his team and the fourth quarter started with a tied score and you could just really feel both teams fighting for it. There was a cutaway moment of Bucks, um, Nathan Buckley, the Collingwood coach, when he was in the coach's box and he grabbed the landline and just started yelling into it. And it just really illustrated all of the passion and emotions that run the gamut of this particular game for me. Tom Green was also a highlight from the Giants. Ultimately, the Giants won by two points, and it was one of the best games so far this season. It was really worth getting up at 5 a.m. for, but there were some sad injuries in the game. Giants captain Phil Davis, who hardly misses any games, even when he probably should be out. I'm thinking about the grand final last year. And Zach Williams, too, went down. But Jeremy Howe from Collingwood had to be assisted off the field with this dramatic collision and injury. And I think he ruptured his PCL and suffered damage to his MCL in his right knee. But yeah, the slow-mo of that is really hard to watch. He's such a great player and one of the league's best defenders. So all the health and recovery vibes to him. And next up, Power versus the Eagles, which was a quarter to midnight on Friday night for me. For this game, I was really curious about the due discussion that's been surrounding the Eagles and how they would fare during the afternoon game, since the due in the evenings has really affected their play and performance. Both teams started with two behinds apiece, and right away, Port seemed to be in control. The Eagles were slow and predictable, I guess. Unfortunately, everything I feared it would be for them, it's kind of hard to figure out. You know, there were a couple of marks during the game, also where I feel like the umps kind of slept on them, but Charlie Dixon was a standout for Port, and in the end, Port Adelaide won by 48 points. And in the Saints versus Tigers game, I just have to say I called this one. You might have thought I was crazy at the time of my predictions, but the game started as I like it with a bangle from Edwards for the Tigers 12 seconds in, and then Butler answered right away from the Saints. So King, Hill, Jones, they were all standouts from this game, and Butler was on fire. I felt like the Saints kept widening the gap slowly, but Richmond would crawl back and close the divide during the quarters. But in the final quarter, the Saints went marching, and they ended up winning by 26 points. And one of the images from the game, Gresh from St. Kilda, Jade Gresham, he had this crazy shiner from the game. And it reminded me of the one that Fife had playing Essendon in round one, where it just didn't even look like either of them could open their eye and they just kind of shrug it off and just keep playing. But also Butler won the medal for best on ground against his former team. So that must have been kind of satisfying for him. But now onto the doubleheader games. Of course, the two games I most wanted to watch from the weekend were shown at the exact same time early Saturday morning. So for the first Dons versus Blues game, I was really nervous for the Bombers because they've had some forced time off due to the COVID testing that we've talked about and shutting down the club. They've only played one game since the restart and they didn't do any full-time scratch matches because they weren't allowed to practice. So the game took off and Levi Casvalt, man, what a player for Carlton. I feel like Parrish went to work and Saad saved as many goals as he could, but I feel like the Blues full forwards were just kicking goals, but the Dons midfield was kind of doing the work with the goals and they also kept kicking it long to Walla, which isn't the answer. The teams kept going back and forth with scoring and they went into the fourth quarter with a tie. 
Surprisingly, the other team playing at the same time went into the fourth quarter with even scores too. I wonder when the last time that has happened, or if it even has for any stats people. I mean, Pistol from Dr. Supercoach, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Do you know the answer to this one? So at the end of the final siren, the Bombers had one last chance at goal, and Jacob Townsend had a pretty far kick from a mark that I really just felt wouldn't make the distance, but it was a moment kind of like the stuff movies are made of, where everyone's holding their breath just to see if the team is going to make that kick and get that goal, or if the other team's just going to win by default because they didn't quite make it. And Liam Jones's face actually spoiled the goal on the line and it became a behind. So the Blues ended up winning by one point because the Dons didn't deliver. And for the final game, Frio versus Suns, which happened at the same time with the other game, like I said, it seemed like every time I looked over at the screen, Gold Coast was getting another goal or setting up a shot for goal. And that game started off with an immediate goal and Frio would answer. So it was really interesting to me because there were no behinds in the first half of the game. It was like a masterclass with goal kicking from both sides. So that's just like another stat to muse over. I mean, when I'm watching games, I always wonder if it's like a historical moment that I'm witnessing. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's just me, but there was very clean ball movement. It was a really exciting game. And I feel like Alex Sexton, Ben King, and our favorite Raul, who is just a machine and so dependable when you get the ball to him, you just know he's going to work his magic because he always just seems to know what to do with it. But they were all standouts. And at halftime, there was a pylon where everyone just kind of jumped together and the umps were just kind of saying at the group like you're all getting fines like break it up break it up at the end fife was icing his hammy which of course is disappointing for frio and in the end gold coast opened up the scoreboard and at times they just play like an elite team that's played together for a while but they ended up winning by 13 points so let's move on to the second quarter of the episode, and that's the round highlights. This is just top three moments that really stood out to me from the round. Number three, Heath Grundy's mic pack that he wore during the game. Getting to hear the comments that he makes to his teammates and to opposition players throughout the game, like even at cutaway during quarter times, they would just play all the things that he was saying. But it turns out he's really funny and hilarious, and every time they'd cut away, I just wanted to hear more. And number two, in the same game, Taylor Adams' face after a knock from the game, he looked like he'd legit been in a car accident. And because of the blood rule, you have to get off the field if you are actively bleeding. So Taylor Adams is walking off the field with what looks like a bruise on his forehead and blood is just pouring down his face. So I'm not even sure he can open his eyes. And he goes off to the sidelines and they just wrap it up and he's good to go. So some of my American friends who are new to watching the game and see that almost like a massive head wound or injury for the first time they're just like what the f like this game is insane and that image is just something that i can still picture from the weekend and number one is Carlton incorporating diehard members' names on the back of their Guernseys. So they put the names of loyal members to reward those who have stuck by them through tough times. And I've said before that I really appreciate everything the clubs have been doing to keep their members and fans with them for the games during this time. And this is such an above and beyond creative way to just give back to them. And what were your most memorable moments from round four? And what are you still thinking about from the weekend? I'd love to know your thoughts. My email is aflfootyobsessed at gmail and aflobsessed on Twitter. 
Okay, it's halftime. So let's take a break and check out what's happening in U.S. sports. If you're like me, you've totally done this before and checked out scores of another game or country sport during halftime when you're watching something live. So there's continuing COVID concerns and how that will affect our sports going forward. Baseball's 2020 season is officially a go now, and players are reporting to training by July 1st, and opening day will most likely be July 23rd or 24th. And we talked about the NBA basketball bubble that's starting up in the last episode, and in the first wave of mandatory tests in prep for the restart of the season, 16 players out of 302 players tested positive last week for coronavirus. So any player that tests positive has to remain in isolation until they satisfy public health protocol and they have to be cleared by a physician. So I feel like I more than anyone love sports and because footy is my coping mechanism, I would never want to take that away from anyone else. I'm just not sure it's wise to restart American sports right now with our, you know, ever rising cases and states that are reopening have spiked with confirmed cases and many of them have had to walk back restrictions. What do you guys think about American sports restarting? I'm curious if you think it's time or maybe we should wait. And now for the third quarter, which will be an element of footy school or footy history. I want to talk about something that has been in the media. Let's rewind to another round four and talk about Nikki Winmar. For anyone who doesn't know, Nikki Winmar is an indigenous former AFL player, and he played for St. Kilda and the Western Bulldogs. So in 1993, in the round four match of St. Kilda against Collingwood, Nikki Winmar was racially abused by the Collingwood cheer squad and Pies fans. So at the end of the game, when St. Kilda won by 22 points, Nikki just kind of lifted his jumper and he faced the crowd and he pointed at his skin. I mean, it was a really classy response to everything that was being hurled at him vocally. And the next day, a picture of that stance was published in the Sunday Age and Sunday Herald Sun with the headline, Winmar, I'm Black and Proud of It. So it was a really powerful statement, and it's been described as one of the most poignant images in Australian sport, and it's been credited as a catalyst specifically for the movement against racism in Aussie footy, and it's been compared to the Black Power Salute of the 1968 Summer Olympics in terms of impact. So there is a statue of Nikki Winmar outside of Optus Stadium in Perth, like that famous photograph. So fast forward to now, for a particular group to say that that incident and event was never about race really to me is a truly woeful and willfully ignorant pronouncement. I really appreciated that St. Kilda clapped back with a tweet of the photo and just the quote, some make comments to create a headline, others make a stand that lasts a lifetime. And really, all I have to say is, Nikki Winmar, you're a legend, and you've helped us understand and challenge parts of the game that need to be changed. And now, on to the fourth quarter, which is the spotlight segment. And that's just a segment I do on an individual that inspires me or that I admire that's footy adjacent, meaning not an athlete, because there's so many people surrounding or are behind the scenes and help to create and maintain the game that we enjoy today. So I just want to throw some beams on Glenn James, who was a VFL field umpire for 166 games between 1977 and 1985. And he is recognized as the only Indigenous Australian to ump a VFL or AFL footy game. 
So a little bit about him. In 1968, Glenn James was drafted into the Australian Army, and he spent a year in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. And afterwards, he played footy with his brother in the country Victorian League. And after suffering a broken jaw, he turned his career to umping in country football and ultimately for the VFL. So he umped for all those games, as I said, and then after retiring from VFL umpiring, he was appointed in 1986 as umpiring careers advisor with the Victorian Country Football League. And between 1994 and 1996, James was AFL assistant umpires coach. So Glenn James, we honor you and everything you did for footy. So now that the game's over, we're after the final siren and just kind of my final thoughts. I hope you like these new sections and they might change over time in terms of topics to include more of what you want to hear. But just a shout out to Wishka for some structural takes on the pod. And if you have a spotlight segment recommendation you'd like to share, please email or DM me on Twitter. And I'd also love if you'd leave a rating for this pod on whatever platform you're listening on. So that's it for me, guys. Thanks for hanging. Stay safe and healthy. Check on your friends and neighbors. We'll get through this like footy. I'm virtually hugging you always, and we'll talk footy soon. Bye.